This is the Campus Hoops podcast, and we're back after a busy week, feast week. Uh, hope everyone had a great holiday. Uh, it feels like we've been away from recording for a long time, but this is Ian, uh, co-host, back with Eric. As always, you know we're excited to bring another episode, and we have a lot to cover. Uh, both the Maui Invitational and the Battle for Atlantis tournaments provide a lot of excitement and drama, as well as uh, quite a few surprises that we'll get into. Um, Starting tomorrow, Monday through Wednesday, is the ACC Big Ten Challenge. Uh, so there's 14 games. We'll kind of uh, jump through those, predict who's going to win the tournament or the exhibition, I should say. And then one of those games, Ohio State at North Carolina, is our game of the week, which we'll get into as well. Uh, but Eric, last week, you know, I feel like the obvious place for us to start is at the Battle for Atlantis with Michigan coming out of nowhere and winning the whole tournament. Yeah, man. First off, this has been the most fun week of college basketball to this date for sure. I think you can agree. And uh, the action this week, just it was everywhere, dude. And I come to – you get to like Saturday and today, and I just want to watch more. And I'm like, man, there's, I got to watch football now, I guess. I, I got to say, it was it was a dull dull day in terms of action compared to what we've had over the last couple of days, and that was, that was disappointing, but yeah. at least we get something back tomorrow. Seriously, man, but no, what a week, though, seriously, Maui, Battle for Atlantis, and yeah, there's probably no better place to start than with that, uh, the team up north, Michigan, Michigan Wolverines, and Juwan Howard and company, and seeing the early success they've had, and just the teams, that the caliber of teams that they played this weekend kind of obviously started off a little easier with Iowa State but nonetheless it prepared them well for games against Blue Blood North Carolina and then uh, Gonzaga in the championship and I was honestly most impressed with their game against UNC and I firmly believe that Michigan just beat UNC at their own game I think Michigan own the paint, mainly John Teske, and I will get uh, talking to more on him in a second because I'm big on him at, at the college level, uh, at least. Um, but I think they just executed so well offensively. They ran their stuff with purpose, and there was just no, there's just no uh, selfishness with this ball club. I think everyone plays for one another, and I want to say the most impressive thing about the success they've had so quickly is you can just see the immediate relationship, player-coach relationship that they have with Coach Howard. I know there was a lot of uh, skepticism out there about the hiring of Juwan Howard as the head coach. And not that I was necessarily one of those skeptics, but I also had my questions with it as well. But to see how uh, quickly they have uh, bonded and just you can see the trust they have in each other and the trust they have for Coach Howard, it's just a great thing to see. And it's already it's already showing and just going from off the court to on the court. So what a what a fun what a fun group Michigan is, and I will say I predicted them fifth in the Big Ten at the beginning of the year, and I'm gonna admit I think I'm gonna be low on them. I think this team is gonna shock some people, and they already have obviously, but I think there's more to come from this Wolverine team. Yeah, I, I honestly think I may be even lower than fifth. I, I hope I wasn't. I need to go back and look at my article, but uh, you know, I I can I I do agree with you that. Um, I wasn't necessarily skeptical of Juwan Howard's ability to be successful at Michigan. Um, he's incredibly passionate. I think he's the right guy for the job after John Beeline left. But the the, the thing we can probably both agree on is that in, in time, you know, would be the answer, not immediately seven games into the season. Um, you know, it's absolutely incredible run they've had. And, and honestly, they they didn't necessarily, you know, dominate. Iowa State, um, you know, Teske had some foul trouble, so it kind of altered their game plan. Um, it was a great point guard matchup, and that's something we'll get to in a second. But, um, you know, I, I felt more and more impressed with each game they won in this tournament. Um, beating North Carolina was a big step. I felt like Iowa State was a winnable game for them. Um, but, you know, beating Gonzaga as well, uh, the way they did, you know, by double digits was – you know, so impressive. And, 
I was, you know, reviewing their season last year. And at the same time, I was making similar comments about Michigan that we are right now, you know, beating Villanova by 20, 30 points uh, on the road to start the year. Um, They had another big win that week, which I cannot recall right now. But, you know, this is more the same from from the Wolverines. And and, and honestly, at this point, seeing Juwan Howard coach this team, you know, who wouldn't want to play for him? Yeah, seriously. And you think – uh, he's a good coach. I think Juwan Howard might be an even better recruiter when it's all said and done. I think he's already got Isaiah Todd in. Um, and obviously, I'm sure Coach Beeline had some uh, input on that as well to start the relationship. But nonetheless, he he sealed the deal on that one. And I think there's just a bright future for the Michigan team. You just look at their build. And year in and year out, they have three returning guys and it seems like all these guys go at the right time and guys come in at the right time and guys stay at the right time because they always have that solid core uh, of returners that can mix in with those talented freshmen. And Coach Beeline, we'll see about Coach Howard, but Coach Beeline was, wasn't scared about not playing his, his freshmen, even if they were big recruits right away. He was going to prepare them and make sure they were fully ready. Uh, I think two things that stood out to me uh, also from this Michigan team. Number one is they just made teams beat them from the three-point line and – with UNC and Gonzaga, neither team shoots extremely well, at least yet. Um, and they really just made both of them beat there from the three-point line. You, I think about the games looking back, and the paint just seemed clogged every single time. And if anything was around the basket, it was a tough shot. I think Michigan really made Cole Anthony shoot extremely tough shots. John Teske and company did a great job of keeping this team off the glass. Uh, and that's a huge thing. If you can beat the battle on the boards against North Carolina, you're going to have a chance to win because that's what they live and die by. So I think they just got Anthony to take tough shots. I think it was his first game where Anthony can truly learn from his shot selection and slow down a little bit. I know we'll get more into UNC here in a little bit. But I think they just made they just made UNC take tough shots and limited them to one position for the most part and ended up on top. And then going back to John Teske, MVP of this whole entire tournament, stat line, 13.5 points, 9.5 rebounds, three blocks over three games, and then shot four of nine from three out of seven-footer. So, and the stat line, it is impressive, and but it's nothing like that pops off. Usually you're thinking of an MVP maybe having, what, 20 points and uh, so on and so forth. But the stat line doesn't even say it all for this dude. Like, I understand he had – four blocks in the final two games, but that doesn't count all the shots that he altered and that he kept away. And the way that he can play without fouling uh, is probably the most impressive part about it. I truly think if this, if John Teske does get in foul trouble, which he's done a very good job of not, but that does change this Michigan team a lot. And his versatility has just become so beneficial for them. And they're just getting him in the right spots. And like I said, you guard him in the paint and then you realize, oh, he can step out and shoot it. That just changes the whole entire uh Michigan offense and being able to put five shooters on the floor like that with Xavier Simpson uh, being able to break down and come off ball screens is just a really good, a really tough guard. And like I said, they just play both ends. So I think their defense is going to lead to their offense and they're going to continue the success going on in this season. Right. I, I will disagree a little bit with uh, Teske. He, he did have some of that foul trouble in this tournament. I can't remember which game. But I was going to say you might as well give co-MVP to his backups and John Castleton and Brandon Johns because, you know, when they stepped in the game for him, whether it was just to get a breather or foul trouble, there was no skipping a beat with the team. They were productive on the defensive end and blocking shots, rebounding. And they also scored, you know, is, of course, off Xavier Simpson's uh, creativity. But, you know, it was it was all right there for the team and there was no drop off. And, and you know, that's hats off to Juwan Howard again undoubtedly being the big man coach he is, you know, you see his mark everywhere. But the last thing I wanted to say is that uh, Josh Christopher, 2020 guy is still uncommitted and he still has Michigan on his list. If, you know, the Wolverines can get a, an elite scoring option like that, you know, it's just look out for me, you know, uh, there's, there's so much upside if they can get somebody like that with Isaiah Todd in there and, and what Juwan Howard could do with five-star guys. Um, so, you know, for, for me, that's definitely something I'm going to be watching for. And I, I think, you know, he can just do an incredible job, uh, coaching this team up. Um, I do want to shift gears a little bit to the other tournament. Um, 
the Maui Invitational was won by the Kansas Jayhawks. It was really nice to see them uh, kind of have some some semblance of consistency and reducing some of the earlier problems we talked about in the first episode of the year, um, or the first recap of the year, I should say, that you know they were reducing turnovers, they were scoring, sharing the ball, um, but for for me. You know, it's it's kind of hard to get this full grasp on how well Kansas played because of their side of the bracket. And I'm sure you feel the same way, Eric, but, you know, going through uh, UCLA or BYU, Chaminade, you know, they didn't really have the difficulties that the other side of the bracket had and the drama. Okay. Uh, but, you know, they, they still were consistent enough to win the tournament. Yeah, no doubt, and obviously it did play into their favor, I would say, being on that side of the bracket. Uh, nonetheless, though, in this championship game, they did run into arguably, after Michigan, one of the hottest teams, you could say, in the country, uh, in the Absolutely. day Flyers, led by Obi Toppin. So, just to show the, the grit they showed and the, the fight they showed in that game, um, you could thank Kansas who came into that game and thought nothing of it and been like, oh, the Dayton Flyers. But, no, they if they would have done that, I think they would have legit lost by 10-plus. But they came to play as a bookie, the best game of his uh, of the season. Uh, Dodson, 11-16 from the field. He put up 31 of his own. Uh, but the most important thing, I think, is the turnover number. And this game went to overtime. And you look back at the first game of the year uh, when Kansas played and had, what, 30 turnovers or something like that. And then – uh, you can just see the improvement already going on in that. They had 11 in this game, and over half of those actually were from Dotson uh, with six. Had four assists, though, five steals. So, obviously, Dotson still had a fine game, but he needs to uh, improve on that, too. But like I said from the beginning, I think on the first episode we had when we were previewing the Champions Classic, Azubuki can be so dominant, I think, in this uh, in this, in this this league, in this, in this country. <laughs> so... I think he has to just insert himself early and often into the game and play without fouling. Talking about fouling, Azubuki is a one that will foul more than normal, and it's important for him to stay on the court for this Kansas team. And he actually fouled out in this game. I don't remember. Was that was it in overtime? Do you remember? Yeah, I believe it was overtime. Yeah. So, obviously, it played a little bit of extra time, but – he's going to have to stay in the game uh, to make sure his impact's on the game. And when he's in the game, he's going to have to get the ball and be be the guy in the paint that requires a double team. And I think he's doing that. A guy that I think also is going to continue to impress us and has continued to impress uh, scouts I've already seen is um, Abaji. And he didn't play great in the championship game, but played 45 minutes. Didn't So he didn't come out of the game. But I think he'll he'll be a guy that, yeah, it's key for this Jayhawks team as well as they continue to go on into the season. But nonetheless, Kansas, they got the job done. I would, I don't, you could argue they weren't the favorites with Michigan State on the other side, but nonetheless, once they were out, they were fully expected to win and they did. And let's not look past Obi Toppin though, six of 11, not 18 and nine in this game. And that's not even talking about his first two games when he was the talk of the nation. So, I think they did a good job containing, containing him somewhat, uh, but he still did his thing. But Kansas got the job done like they should have. Yeah, I, I think we both can agree that no player in, in either tournament improved their draft stock more than, than Obi Toppin. He, he showed every skill in the book that you need um, as a big and a modern big at that. Um, you know, hitting outside shots, hitting inside shots from the post, um, you know, face-ups, mid-range jumpers, layups, running the break, playing effective defense, you know, you name it, he did it. Uh, and he did it as a, as a primary team player. You know, he, he doesn't have to be the guy that touches the ball in every play uh, to, to be successful, and, and that's highly attractive to NBA teams. So, you know, Dayton's definitely a, a dangerous team moving forward in the tournament. Um, you know, I know they weren't picked as the favorites in the A-10, and they might as well be now. So uh, I know that yeah. that that league is is uh, fairly deep, and it's it's going to be competitive all the way to the end. But you know, with how Dayton played against top notch competition, Power Five conferences, you know, they have to be right up there with anybody else. 
Um, the the other team that had an exceptional tournament, even though they didn't, you know, weren't as productive, and, and of course had to run through Dayton as well, was Virginia Tech. Um, neither of us likely had them doing much of anything this year with a coaching transition and large roster transition, but former Wofford coach Mike Young has this team well positioned to succeed this season. Um, you know, beating Michigan state in the first round was, you know, no bigger win than they may see either for the rest of the year. Uh, they were great on defense. They, they nailed the th- three ball um, throughout the game and they have a budding star in Landers Nolly. So, I mean, there's a lot to like in Blacksburg. Yeah, for sure. And I think uh, any win like this obviously is going to be huge. And Virginia Tech is hoping that it's not their win of the year. And trust me, playing in the ACC, they're going to have multiple other opportunities to have their win of the years. But um, it was – if I don't know if it shows you how good Dayton was playing or maybe it was a little bit of a fluke in Virginia Tech after they – uh, beat Michigan State, came back and uh, took an L by almost 30 to Dayton. So maybe we'll see a team that is streaky, uh, per se, is probably probably the word, and then also lost to BYU in the next game. But nonetheless, with a team like this, not very high expectation. Uh, like you said, Landers Nolly, the, the freshman that um, is going to be their guy this year probably, and we'll see how he fares when it comes to consistent ACC play. But what a win for them, like you said, and – yeah, I don't want to put too much stock into it, but obviously you got to mention it. Right. Uh, last last thing, just just to recap uh, from the tournaments is you know the the guard matchups we had in the battle for Atlantis was you know absolutely incredible. Um, Peyton Pritchard versus Cole Anthony, Cole Anthony versus Xavier Simpson, Xavier Simpson versus Tyrese Halliburton. You know, you, you name it, the top guards in the nation were there and playing against each other, and nobody's backing down. You know, it's it great games to watch. Yeah, and the, the one that I'll just quickly want to talk on is the Peyton Pritchard and Miles Powell. Um, Alan, the one I didn't mention. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, like, you know, that's how loaded it was, though. Honestly, the, the, the lead guard matchups in this were, were great, like you said, and there's much to talk about. And I just briefly just want to bring up just – the end of the Oregon Seton Hall game. And I'm not sure if you got a chance to watch it, went back and watched it. But uh, for those of you who don't know, Oregon did come out on top of that, came back. Uh, Seton Hall was in control for a lot of the game. Oregon ended up coming back and winning by two. But it largely had to do with just Seton Hall's lack of execution uh, in the last five minutes of that game. In the last five possessions or so, everyone in the country in the bleachers in the game knew who was getting the ball. And, and I'm not going to argue that at all. 100% Miles Powell should be getting the ball in that situation every single time. But I don't think Seton Hall really knew exactly what they were trying to do besides get him the ball. They, every time it was just dribble, 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 make a pass or two, and there's 10 seconds left, and Miles Powell's going isolation one-on-one versus Peyton Pritchard. And don't get me wrong, like, don't hear me – the wrong way he's a great scorer obviously one of the best in the country and he can score in those moments but you're looking off synergy just the film study that I use uh coming off as a pick and roll ball handler Miles Powell is is over one point per possession when it comes off the ball screen and even and then off screens in general so whether that's for you basketball fans I understand off ball screens you got flare screens back screens down screens all those type of things. He's one and a half points per possession. And if you're over a point in any of those categories, then that's considered very good or excellent. Uh, the terms they use actually for this uh, synergy that I use, but I thought they just could have done a much better job of getting at least an initial action of maybe a ball screen or a, just a, a down screen or something for miles Powell other than the one-on-one um, and just hoping he just makes a play. I understand, like, the best teams have those guys that can just make those plays. But, number one, Peyton Pritchard played very good defense on him late in that game, which is huge props to him. I, I think I even mentioned this to you. It's really good when your best player offensively and your leader is also the guy that's guarding the best player on the other team. And this is one of the best scorers in the nation and successfully uh, not letting him win the game for them. So, I thought it was it was just a uh, scene. Also, they need to work on, and 
like you said, I think I've said this earlier too. I think Miles Powell is great, but Seton Hall's still going to need a number two to kind of step up and show some sort of scoring ability along with him if they want to have success long term. Yeah, I, I agree with that one hundred percent. I'll get into this later with UNC, but I think there's several teams in this tournament that experience that, and it causes them to fall in the tournament. So, you know, it's it's great to see those big one-on-one matchups, but in in most cases in this tournament, the the best team won. Yeah. Um, so we'll we'll shift to the ACC Big Ten uh, tournament now. Um, beginning tomorrow through Wednesday. Uh, as I told Eric earlier, you know, it's, it's great to have another set of games that are, have this added meaning to them uh, that we can follow in the middle of the season and, and more incentive to watch. But um, 14 games between the conferences, uh, you need eight to win the battle. Um, you know, Eric, which game would you like to start with? Um, well, I'll, uh, Obviously, we're going to save the Ohio State-UNC. But Michigan-Louisville really, really jumps out to me. Um, probably not to much surprise, but the Wolverines go into the Yum Center. Uh, we'll see what the new rankings show, but Louisville uh, rumored likely to be the new number one. Um, this will be, what, the fourth or third number one already this year, which is a whole other discussion as no team can really <laughs> – can really assert their dominance. Every team's scared to be number one, apparently. So, yeah, this is the one that, that sticks out to me for sure. I think immediately, I think, again, John Teske, I think he has a very good matchup in this one with Malik Williams. Malik Williams came in slender and honestly still is pretty slender. So, I think Teske, uh, if they can get it to him early in Austin, uh, that's going to be great for them. And then, obviously, you can't talk about Louisville, though, without talking about Jordan Nora. And uh, his first, he's the first team All American preseason guy, can score with the best of them as well, and has guys to play off of them. But I think this Michigan team is so hot right now that with the way they're, they've been executing and can defend, if they can just show Nora two, three defenders in every possession and just be, be in the help side, and they have other guys, but obviously with a guy like that, you just want somebody else shooting the ball. Um, and I think if, Michigan can just execute like they have been in this uh, in the battle for Atlanta they were just in. Then I think Michigan comes out on top of this one. And I'll give one of my picks away. I got Michigan in this one, uh, but I, I love that matchup a lot. Is that your upset pick for the week? <laughs> it is not. <laughs> it's mine. <laughs> uh, well, but I mean, <laughs> I do have Michigan winning. I guess so. Yes and no. Not your official one. Not my official one, but <laughs> yeah. Well, it's it'll be my official one, and uh, you know, with with the way Michigan won the Battle for Atlantis tournament, you know, I I think there's uh, potential as well for this game to be a, a top five battle. Um, you know, I know, I think it was in 2015, 2016, um, Texas A&M beat. Virginia Tech and a couple other teams uh, early in the season went from not ranked to being number six in the nation. So just like the football ranking system, anybody that outperforms themselves and starts beating, you know, top ranked teams gets a huge boost. So, um, you know, seeing Michigan at number five, number six is not going to be out of the question for me uh, in this game. But I think there's a lot of, interesting matchups in, in this game individually, you know, Xavier Simpson uh, point guard spot for Louisville is not exceptional. Um, but, you know, it's, it's not a liability either. They have a couple of guys that can step in there and, and of course everything runs through Jordan Wara, but uh, you know, it, it'll be interesting to see if Isaiah livers gets put on Nora and how he can handle that. I think he can um, slow him down with his size. And then of course, Nora's not typically a uh, a regarded as a, a top flight defender, so that's uh, an area that that the Wolverines can can attack as well and try to get him off the court. So, I do think this is a winnable game for Michigan as well as their you know with with their momentum that they're currently carrying. So, um, it's definitely 
going to be one of the most fun ones to watch out of out of the whole slate. Yeah, for sure. And just real quick, to back to your upset of the pick, uh, upset of the week picks and asking me, I'll tell you what, this week was so hard to pick that one of the reasons I didn't make the cut was since I, we were previewing this Big Ten HCC challenge, and for you listeners, this was not the criteria by any means. I just made it on my own because it was so difficult for me to find a pick that I just nixed all the Big Ten HCC challenge games I thought could possibly be upsets and went elsewhere. So maybe I made the wrong choice, but you know what? We'll see. And <laughs> with me having eight, eight options, either way, I probably should have picked a different matchup if mine doesn't work out this week. Well, you can't you can't go back on it. So nope, nope. I'll have it ready <laughs> by the end of the show, Ian. <laughs> Got to decide quick. <laughs> um, the the other huge matchup that you know we can I- identify right away is Duke at Michigan State. Um, it's a top three battle as it stands now. Both teams uh, have lost recently: SFA over Duke and Michigan State losing to Virginia Tech. Um, you know. It may still be a top 10 matchup, but it's definitely a big one from preseason standings. And, uh, you know, having Trey Jones guard Cassius Winston is is a huge matchup in college basketball. Yeah, it's that's immediately where definitely my thoughts go, and I'm sure most basketball fans would go, is the Trey Jones versus Cassius Winston. And you got one of the more elite, probably on-ball defenders in the nation in Trey Jones against one of the best game managers and just decision makers in Cassius Winston. Both those both those teams will probably be as good as those two players are. Now, that's not saying necessarily they'll be the best – not best, but the best stat lines, I guess, per, per game. Winston most likely will be, but Trey Jones is a guy that just affects the game in so many different ways that with Vernon Carey, Matthew Hurt, uh, Etc. cetera, uh, Cassius Stanley, who is out, that'll be a, that is a big note in this game. But Trey Jones might not always be your leading scorer, but he's going to need to be on the court, and he's probably playing 38 minutes a game for this team, and he's going to have a big job in guarding Cassius Winston. So that matchup's going to be great. And you got Xavier Tillman and Vernon Carey down low, which you got the vet versus the rook, both extremely talented. Vernon Carey coming on well this year. Um my bold prediction of Kerry being better than Wiseman, it's it's I guess I'm right so far because Wiseman is <laughs> is playing. But I do think Kerry is holding his own well and nothing against Wiseman. I've already been very impressed with Wiseman way more uh than I was. And not that I wasn't big on him, but he's he still went way over my expectations of him in the short amount of time that he has played. But nonetheless, Kerry's holding his own. This matchup uh, at Michigan State. So, yeah, I have I have Michigan State in this one. Uh, I think Cassius Winston just being being the vet leader. I think Michigan State gets it done. That loss to Virginia Tech, I still think, is honestly, I know they already played, obviously, those consolation games. But this is one that they're one bad, I think, just to make sure that fans don't forget about them. Yeah, I, I honestly flip-flopped on this game, and I'm not going to reveal my pick just in case so I can say I'm right or wrong. But, um, you know, I, I think this is an interesting matchup for Matthew Hurt. Um, you know, I expect him to draw Keithier, and, uh, you know, this is a good opportunity for him to stretch the floor. And I think in against SFA, he had uh, 26 points, and so he seems to be hitting his stride. Um but, you know, Tom Izzo teams are always physical, so who knows how that's going to play out. And, you know, you, we never know where the fouls are going to fall in a game. Uh, but, you know, also Gabe Brown on, on Wendell Moore, Cassius Stanley is probably not going to play, um, according to Coach K. Uh, so it adds more intrigue to the game for me. But um, neither of these teams are playing their best ball right now, and, and anything can go. Yep, like I said earlier, neither one wanted to be number one, so – that's not important. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're right. It's actually not right now, but of course, it's, it's it's still fun to talk about. Or at least that's that's coach speak, and that's what they'd tell you. Yeah. Um, we we won't have time to get through all 14 games, but um, we can post our our game picks uh, on our page uh, at campus underscore hoops um, for everyone to see. 
Um, Eric, who do you have winning and what's your count? So I have the Big Ten winning. No, I got I miss I misspoke. I have the ACC winning. Eight to six. So as close as it can get without being a tie. I have five five road teams winning and nine of the home teams winning. So Okay. ACC eight six. Well, I am the exact opposite for the Big Ten, eight six. And I have seven road wins and seven home wins. Hey, I love to hear it, man. So I'm not I'm not, I, I'm not scared. I'm not scared. <laughs> I I was close to uh having it be a seven seven tie and I couldn't allow that to happen, so I had to make a change. <laughs> <laughs> that was my thought too. I, I went through and did them all without even thinking about the number yet, just hoping it wouldn't be seven seven and you know what I Got lucky, I guess you can call it. So, go <laughs> ACC, Tar Heel Nation. Uh, you just can't bring your homer in in here. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's only one of the fourteen matchups. Come on. <laughs> well, we're we're getting into that one now. So, Ohio State plays at North Carolina. Um, it's going to be a, a crazy atmosphere, and uh, you know, surprisingly, after North Carolina won, um or um, I'm sorry, after they lost to Michigan in the Battle for Atlantis tournament, they, they put together quite the game and defeated Oregon. Um, you know, Oregon didn't have the best tournament, um, but, you know, that was fairly impressive for, you know, a Tar Heel team that likely doesn't have as much depth as the Ducks do. Yeah, and also just uh... – Quick note on that: They didn't play the second half without Leaky Black, one of their starters. So, I was actually very curious to see how the Tar Heels would bounce back in that game, and uh, they did well. And I'm sure we'll get more into them uh, with this game against Ohio State. But Armando Baycott, what a what a game against Oregon that he had, and it also did help that uh, Mathis for Oregon shot three of seventeen and one of twelve from three on the tournament. Yeah, absolutely. It, it always helps when your three-point sharpshooter isn't hitting anything. Um, but, I mean, I, I want to say on the year, Mathis was close to 60%, so he was bound for a, yeah, a setback somewhere. Yeah, he was. He was. He was just shooting it unbelievably. I remember uh, I was talking about that earlier. And, yeah, just struggled. And, hey, it is what it is. And I'm sure he'll be go five for five next game. <laughs> We can only hope, right? <laughs> so, so my my first key for this game is Cole Anthony versus I wrote it as Cole Anthony versus himself. But what I mean by that is looking at this Tar Heel team, Cole Anthony twenty twenty one points per game, essentially twenty point seven. Uh, you know. Anytime he's on the floor, he creates everything for this team. He rebounds the ball really well. He creates for everyone else off pick and roll. When you need a bucket, he gets it for you. But when he's off the floor, this team doesn't have a go-to score, and that's exactly what happened against Michigan is they fell behind with a six-minute scoreless stretch within the last ten minutes of the game. And all of a sudden, you know, they were down 22 points. Cole comes back in, and they cut it almost to 10 but they can't afford that, especially against an Ohio State team that is as deep as anybody in the country. Yeah, no, they they definitely can't afford that. And obviously, after Coy Anthony, especially at the guard position in that in that backcourt, they don't have anyone like him. And I mean, if we're being honest, there's not a lot of players like him around the nation. So he, he definitely is rare, and it's hard to. It's always hard to sub for a guy like that, but still playing 34 minutes a game. But like you said, those those four to five minutes can, can be the difference in a game when you're playing a team like Ohio State or when they get into ACC play against Duke, Virginia, all those, Louisville, all those kind of teams. So, yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting to see how Cole bounces back in this game. Not necessarily bounces back. Not that he had a bad tournament at Battle for Atlantis, but more if he just if he learned from it. I think like I said earlier, he forced a lot of shots throughout these three games that they played. And still of course had a highlight reels and he's he's gonna do that and still play with confidence. But 
think he needs to honestly trust his teammates a little bit more. I think a big key for this team is referring to your second scorer uh, is Brandon Robinson being back. His first three games back of the year, he was out for the first four games with an ankle injury, and his return was this this tournament. He averaged, I think, 11.5 points throughout the tournament, uh, shot 38% from three, um, and and showed signs of, of good things. But also, like I said, Leaky Black, their other starting guard slash forward, didn't play in the second half of this game. And I think he is just as big as an X factor as any of these other guys. So I think it's important first for them to get healthy. I think both those guys need to be on the court. And for this team specifically for UNC this year, their top seven need to be healthy, or I think their floor uh, gets, gets lower and their floor and their ceiling. So I would say health is, is one of the first factors for this team overall period but like you said Cole he, he's a, he is a freshman it's it is him versus himself in this game and I like how you worded that I think I'm curious to see how Roy bounces back with him and just to see Baycott just coming off of his career game against Oregon of like 23 13 and six blocks I think he keeps getting better and better every time I watch him so, and the matchup I actually am very excited for in this one is Baycott versus uh, Caleb Weston that I'm sure we're going to get into. Yeah, absolutely. And and correct me if I misheard this or, or misread this piece of information, but did Brandon Robinson not get hurt again? He did get hurt. He returned. He, okay. He returned in the game. Okay. Just well, that's big Leaky news. Black. Yeah, that is good. Yeah. Just Leaky Black was out the whole second half against Oregon, and I have not seen an update on him yet. Okay, yeah, because that was that was my second point, um, being that you know North Carolina doesn't have this go-to second score. Brandon Robinson coming back is is absolutely big for them, being able to stretch the floor and also having another athletic uh, player on the floor, a athletic guard um, against an Ohio State team that is second defensively in the nation in terms of shooting percentages. That includes inside the paint. Uh, inside the three-point line, outside three-point line. Uh, and, and for a team like North Carolina that already struggles to shoot the three-point shot, um, getting Robinson back is absolutely huge for them. If he's sore or not able to go, I think it prevents, presents a huge problem for the Tar Heels. Um, you know, Cole can't do it all game, especially against the team of his caliber. I think it showed against Michigan. He's going to have to get taken out eventually to get a rest. Uh you know, I, I think that the benefit for Ohio State is that they're extremely balanced and they have a lot of guys that um, take equal amount of shots throughout the game, so they're not as as restrained by relying on one guy. But I think that's that's a huge proponent uh, of their success in this game. Yeah, pretty much. Ohio State honestly is the opposite of UNC from what I just said as far as uh, the depth of their team and being able to have an injury and kind of come out the same. So like you said, Ohio state super balanced uh, three guys, I think in double figures to lead them and their leading is like 13 with Caleb Wesson. So it just shows you that UNC, like I said, just can't have an injury and it's huge for Brandon Robinson to play and leaky black as well. Cause he's actually shown, some improvement from the three-point line already this year, shooting 43%. I don't think he shoots a ton. Uh, he shot seven, so won a game, basically. But either way, him and Brandon Robinson are going to need to be those those secondary wing scores for sure. And it's it, I think it makes – going back to your point about Ohio State defense and UNC's lack of shooting, obviously with Robinson out, that kills them because – their bench and specifically their graduate transfers they brought in that were supposed to be those threats from the three-point line. You got Justin Pierce shooting 27% and Christian Keeling, who he was known for just shooting threes and being a scorer at, um, oh man, it's, I'm blanking right now, but wherever he was for his undergrad, his four years, he was known for shooting. Charleston Southern, I think. Charleston Southern, that's correct. Thank you. And, that just shows you, first off, those two need to step up. But if they can't consistently find this three ball, it makes even more importance on the two guys that 
are down in the middle and hold it down for them consistently and have been great so far this year. And Garrison Brooks and Armando Baycott, you got the balance of the, the vet and Brooks and the rookie and Baycott. But like I said about Baycott, I'm just more and more impressed with the way he plays uh, every single time I see him. And I know he didn't play a fabulous or an elite uh, back-to-the-basket post player, I would say, against Oregon. But he'll see that against Caleb Wesson. And Wesson even will stretch it out a little bit on him. He doesn't shoot him a ton, but I think he's like two for five on the year from three. So that matchup to me is – and they can easily go with Brooks, honestly, on him as well. This kind of goes both ways. But I just think Baycott – He's so active, and just the way he moves for his size and the energy that he brings, he just comes. He just brings it every single game uh, that he's played so far. And energy is such a big thing, especially when you're that big and talented. If you add on to that playing your hardest for 40 minutes or however long you're in the game, then good things are just bound to happen. So I'll be very curious to see how Ohio State defends them. And honestly, if they if they end up showing doubles or if they just go hard digs, or how they guard the post. I think that's going to be a huge, huge thing in this game. Yeah, and, and, and I'm, I'm speculating that Ohio State will put E.J. Liddell on Baycott and have Wesson on Brooks um, just to have the more of the bruiser against Brooks and having a little bit more athletic forward uh, on Baycott, who's a little more agile, but... You know, I'm I'm also curious about the the status of Andre Weston. I couldn't find any updates uh, before we started recording, uh, but you know, with a fractured eye socket, you know, who who knows how long he's supposed to be out? I think as of November eighth, he is supposed to be out two weeks, so he should be back by now. And and maybe he's had a setback or slower healing. So if they can get him back, that's that's big news for the Buckeyes. Um, my my last couple of points are you know neither one of these teams are are great uh free throw shooters they're they're both average to below average um so you know any any consistency there in this game is going to be crucial for either team um especially for for somebody like cole anthony if you're going to be the primary ball handler primary scoring option getting to the line being aggressive is going to be a benefit for your team um and i know that's simple analysis but um you know, I, that's exactly how I see it. You know, whoever can take advantage of their weaknesses is, is going to come out on top, but, uh, Ohio state has a plus nine rebounding margin. Almost. I think it's eight and a half per game, um, 41 and a half to 33 rebounds per game, which is, you know, an obvious key to their success this year. But looking at North Carolina, they average, just under 50 at 49.7 and they also hold opponents to 33 rebounds per game. So whoever can stay out of foul trouble um, and continue to crash the glass, I think is going to be in a good position. Uh, You know, if, if that's North Carolina, obviously they don't have to shoot uh, the three ball exceptionally well, or even from the floor uh, to try to hang in this game. But uh, you know, for Ohio state to do something like that, we could be looking at, you know, potentially a game like they had early in the season against Villanova. Yeah, I mean, if UNC is going to continue to shoot the three ball and shoot at the 30% clip they have, then they're not going to have a choice but to get some offensive rebounds to gain more possessions. And my uh, one of my last is watching UNC in this in the Battle for Atlantis this past weekend, they just had some careless turnovers. I think this is a younger team. Uh, that Roy, one of the younger teams that Roy's had probably in a little bit as far as guys that actually play. Um, you got Baycott, obviously, the freshman. Coy Anthony, the freshman. Leaky Black played a limited amount last year. Uh, Robinson, he's obviously been a part of a national championship team, but this is the biggest minutes that he's going to play. So you look at that as four of your five starters. Uh, and then Brooks, obviously, is probably the most uh, – experienced guy back and I think that shows and it's great you can tell that he's a great leader for them and uh, the best part I think about him and D-Rob leadership wise is they're not afraid to get in Coy Anthony's face and rip him Uh, that's a little off topic but I did actually like seeing that and that Anthony took it well and be able to hold your guys accountable like that but back to my turnover talk UNC 
if they're going to let Cole Anthony continue to shoot these tough contested shots, and especially against a stifling defense like Ohio State, then they're going to have to make sure they make the most of these possessions and don't lose any. So I think taking care of the ball and um, making sure that they're just making the simple passes. Because honestly, I was just almost astonished a little bit when I was watching them. It would just be a ball reversal or a pass across court and there's not a guy there or he doesn't catch it. And I'm like, what is going on? Like this, this is a normal UNC team. And the thing about that is you would normally think, Oh, it's UNC. They play super up pace and that's, that's what they do. They want to get out and run, but actually uh, through looking at synergy, they have not actually been good in transition this year, nor do they get out and run as much as they usually do, which may surprise you with having point and you leading the charge, but it is a, it is something to note that usually you're used to getting outlets to guys like Joel Berry, Marcus Page, Kobe White, and just saying, go out and get a score. But for some reason, this UNC team really hasn't just shown that as much as the past teams have. So I'll be I'll be curious to see what that looks like and if they do take care of the ball. Because if you turn it over too much against the Ohio State team, then it's just going to be bad news for you. They're going to pound it down inside, and if Caleb Wesson gets going and they get open threes in transition. They shoot 40% as a team from three. So if you let that happen, then it could be dangerous. And my last point on the UNC side is they were struggling to guard ball screens uh, during this tournament from what I've seen. And how they guard them is they do a hard hedge sort of, but it's like a open up hard hedge. So multiple times they got uh, split. So basically the defender guarding the screener jumps out guard goes either under or over the top and the point guard in this case this last week it was either Xavier Simpson uh or Peyton Pritchard and obviously those are two elite guys but still they get back and get on the paint they break them down and then you're at a disadvantage and you're playing four on three so I think either adjusting that or kind of changing just the positioning of the of the hedger per se guarding that ball screen is going to be big so oh they can't get wide open looks from three but, yeah, outside of that, I think it's going to be – it could be a great game, but I could see it obviously going either way. I think that's going to be the census is either team can win this. But Ohio State, this is going to be their first road game, and it's not an easy one, obviously. They're not getting a, a cake road game uh, for the first one of the year. So, it'll be curious to see how they, how they come out uh, and show up against this UNC team because this UNC team – has the ability of getting off to very good start. Yeah, and you can bet that Roy Williams will have, you know, some corrections figured out and ways to game plan for Ohio State. So some of those mistakes you're talking about, I'm sure they're going to get short up for this game. But who are you taking in this matchup? Who do you think I'm taking, Ian? <laughs> oh, you're going to be a homer? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going with the Tar Heels, man. Like I said, I think, I think it honestly does play – a factor that this is Ohio State's first road game uh, of the year. And they're scheduled for the first seven games that we referred to either last week or the week before was was not hard by any stretch. Like we said, they did have that impressive Villanova win. Um, but outside of that, it was a lot of games that they were expected to win by 2025. And to give them credit, they did take care of things. And they definitely are stifling on defense and didn't allow those teams to get much off. But I think, uh, honestly – UNC, like you said, oh, it's a good rebound team as well, but I think they become too much on the glass. Uh, I think Corey Anthony improves. I'm not going to predict a, like a huge game for him, but I think Baycott just looks really good again. He's coming off his great game, like I said. And I think – I'm assuming Brandon Robinson plays. I think he makes a difference, obviously, and hopefully Lakeith Black gets out there. But I'll take the Tar Heels by four. Okay. Well, I, I flip-flopped on this a lot, too, and, uh, you know, I think Ohio State's win over Villanova was really impressive, um, but, you know, I know Villanova has issues of their own. I am concerned for North Carolina in terms of their three-point defense, or three-point shooting, I should say, against such a, a you know, elite perimeter uh, defending team like Ohio State. Uh, but I think I'm going to have to side with North Carolina as well, uh, just because of how much they've been tested. 
And despite me feeling the same way in this game uh, about North Carolina's roster and their usage with Cole Anthony and, and other players uh, and, and kind of being so one-dimensional with who they use, uh, they've managed to, to beat some, some pretty talented teams. Um, you know, and even we're coming back against Michigan. So uh, I'll, I'll gladly take them in this game. And if they end up proving me wrong, then I'll know better. And, you know, we'll both say that Ohio State's for real. So <laughs> um, not that not that they weren't outside my top three to start the year. So by no means was I underrating them. But we'll be with, both be on UNC for this game. Um, and I've already said uh, – Michigan over Louisville for my upset pick, but Eric, who are you taking? Oh man! Well, the time has come. I I'm gonna jump on uh, DePaul in this one, and I'm gonna attack the Texas Tech Red Raiders again, and that'll be back to back weeks. Now that I've done that, I had them Iowa over them last week, and. I just don't think – I definitely don't think they're 12th in the country. Um, and But it's not more – it's more so even though DePaul, I think, has been impressive this year so far. 8-0, they're getting Texas Tech at home. Uh, DePaul shooting 50% from the field, holding teams under 64 points uh, and averaging over 40 rebounds a game. I think Texas Tech loses their third in a row. Uh, and I think DePaul gets it done. Yeah, I I think that's a great pick. Um, the Red Raiders without Jamias Ramsey, you know, are are really struggling, not having a an additional score to complement Davide Moretti. So, uh, you know, I I think that's a great pick. I think a lot of people have been underrating DePaul for most of the year, and they've they've been knocking it out of the park every time. So, I think that's a great pick. Um, as as always, uh, you know, feel free to comment on our page, provide suggestions, reviews. Uh, on Spotify or Anchor, wherever you're listening to this. Um, you know, maybe we'll have a, a poll up again this week to, to pick Game of the Week next week. We'd love to have more, uh, you know, listener involvement in terms of deciding what goes on our podcast episodes. Um, and, uh, you know, any interaction we have with you guys is is fantastic. So we, we look forward to having more of that. Um, additionally, this this will probably go live in the morning so when you listen to this will be monday morning um and we will be recording a special episode tomorrow on monday evening uh, with kendall provost the scouting specialist um and releasing that tuesday morning most likely um if it probably won't be out early enough so uh look for that then um and of course any any reviews or, or anything you'd like to to say to us we we're happy to hear it so um, hope to hear from you soon. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week. Yep, hope you guys had a great Thanksgiving. Happy Monday.